0: I hear the love story.
1: You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio.
2: And it is. May twenty-third, twenty sixteen. We are your co-hosts, Bill. That's me and Nancy. Um, that's me, Burns, and we are broadcasting on <clears throat> Future Theater Live from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Sulbury Village, Pennsylvania, on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. And with us tonight is our producer, the Jackal, Angela Spina. Say hello, Jackal.
1: Hello, Jackal. Hi hey, Nancy, I see right? your camera there, Nancy. Hi, Nancy. And, I saw and on the
2: line is Chris Brown. Hi, Chris. Hello, I'm here. Hi, Chris. And our guest to, and our guest tonight is Robert Morningstar. My favorite. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well he was just you know, I feel like in addition to your show uh, recently, Skywatchers, on Wednesday nights on same yep. same bat network. Yep. Um, in addition, I have been following him around to other shows. I just find myself checking out different shows, and I, whenever Bob's on, it's you know, and I. So I've been, I feel like I've been having one long conversation with Bob, and I'm glad Bill's going to be here for the
1: bills, the bill Nancy, side of it. That's how yes. I felt about Bob Morningstar for the last three years because you have had him on so many times. He's an awesome guest and uh, always has a lot of information to talk about. So well, and and and. and uh, you know him and bill burns are the two people that i know that know the most about the kennedy assassination
3: mm-hmm. on the
1: planet i mean i don't think anybody knows more well, than
3: well no 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 I, I would say speaking for bill not not at all because bill is a co- very partial scholar when it comes to that stuff
1: well but- yeah but, but yeah but you say partial but his partial scholarship is about 100 times better than just about anybody else who's an actual oh. scholar
3: oh. that's shout nice of to you bill. to say
2: yeah shout except, out to except 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 well my big thing is and I, I'll talk with Robert about this. Why is it? Here, here's my question. In the summer of 1997, very important summer, well, in, in late spring, and I know this because we were just wrapping up the, the, the book the day after Roswell. It was coming off press. What
3: year are we talking? It would have
2: been 96 or 97, one of those two years. Okay. And uh, this is before the book was published. In, and they're probably upstairs in the balcony, in the attic, in uh, Time Magazine and Newsweek. There was the story that Lady Bird Johnson released Lyndon Johnson's tapes from the Oval Office. That 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 was the big story, and they had transcribed some of the tapes. And in a, in in two particular conversations that interested me, one was a conversation between J. Edgar Hoover, who was director of the FBI, and Lyndon Johnson, President Johnson, after they flew back, after Johnson flew back with Kennedy's body from Dallas. And Hoover walks into the office and says to the president, you know, this is after Lee, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald had been arrested and everything else. He says, Mr. President, you know, that there was more than one Lee Harvey Oswald. And that, and so then that, Lyndon Johnson responded. that actually transcribed responded. from tape. What? That's
3: actually transcribed That was
2: actually from transcribed tape. from tape and, and and printed in these two magazines.
3: But it made, it, it hasn't made the splash.
2: It has not. And, and, and that's what I'm trying to say, that though that was transcribed from tape, though that was in the magazine, when the time came for people like um, Michael Beschloss to write about what was in those tapes. Oh, and Johnson responds to Hoover. Johnson says to Hoover, yes, I know. That's very important. Yes, I know, but let's keep that from Dulles because he was um, asking Dulles to head up a commission to find out what really went on? Well, well they, they knew Dulles what went on. The
3: CIA at this point.
2: Doug, uh, Dulles, Alan Dulles was not director of the CIA because Kennedy fired him after the Bay of Pigs. So that's why the appointment of Dulles to head that commission was very pointed.
3: Well, tonight we're going to be talking, um, not not coincidentally, uh, all about Cuba, all about Bay of Pigs, all about uh, Rafael. Uh, Cruz, whose picture—I uh, hope Bob doesn't mind—that I put that really—he has a really great article that I've linked to at futuretheater.com. dot com, and the article talks about the possibility that uh, that he himself uh, leaked the that, that Bob Morningstar leaked the story, and um, the story he leaked is is the story that he's written about, and that's linked. Except that folks
2: in the Inquirer told me that Roger Stone leaked it
3: yeah but but I want to bring up to Bob okay. a, a, a totally similar problem in that another person supposedly link, le- leaked the story. I'm trying to find the guy's name right now, and he killed himself he, he um, I'll find it I'll, I'll take a, during the break I'll find it. Um, yeah, I'll find it as I speak because I know where I put it now. if you are finding that you go to websites and they're so busy. When you try to get a story, you know, you're following a link and you go there and there's things popping up and the screen's gone black and stuff. Well, there's a thing called Pocket, P-O-C-K-E-T, Pocket. It's available for all the browsers. And you hit Pocket and it just grabs the story you want, quiets everything down and, uh, puts it aside for you to read when you want, just with no junk, just straight reading. So that's where I stashed this whole thing. And I'm going to Pocket right now to find it. So. Um, and that's where, if you want to get sane on the internet, I it's would so convenient.
1: Consider. It took her this long to find it.
3: Well, no, it's convenient <laughs> if you're not. If you're not. Tony, so, I say here's the blogger who wrote, who tried to connect Cruz's dad with Lee Harvey Oswald. He has a has a blog called. Um, okay, I should do this better. Uh, Gary Welch, you can do it. Next a lawyer, year. A lawyer it. who managed his advanced Indiana blog, and now. You can still go to his Advanced Indiana blog and see his latest, his last blog posting in which he suggests, you know, Trump's going to win. Um, and I'll link all that up too, but I want to get, I want to get Bob's opinion on this guy, Gary Welsh, you know, cause he supposedly is the guy who leaked it. So let's just find out. I mean, the leakers, not the, or the whistleblowers, um, they know who they are. So we'll talk about that tonight, you see. and, and is Bob worried about his health? It uh, who's it about a little
0: Lou Al cinder huh who he went yes. to high
3: school with oh, and by the way, there is an Al cinder who is a commentator, a woman on one of the sh- networks, and I wonder if she's the child of Lou Al Cinder. spilled the same very who
2: who went to high school with Lou
3: Cinder?
0: Bob really I think so yep he was uh, uh Lou was one year older than him, and he'll tell the story when he gets in here and he probably uh, yeah, Bob, him Robert, time, Morningstar, Robert
2: Morningstar mm-hmm. went to Power McM- uh, Power Memorial High.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would, uh He was one. I believe that was the name of the school. But uh, yeah, and uh, Lou was one year older than him honest, than he was. So yep. So that's um, that's a story he can he can tell us for sure.
1: Bob keeps very well. I mean, he's uh, he, he's aged well. Let's say that. Well,
3: well because and the, and this is a question I'm going to I mean it's the
1: yoga he does by the way. No, that's that's exactly the tai it. Chi, yeah. Yep. It's tai chi. chi. Yeah. I
3: want to ask him about that because um I want to ask him how does one find on the internet simple instructions for getting started if one is not young? But old, but old. And I think Bob will be able to take us through. I think you're talking about the old person's exercise where they stand in the ground. That's grass. Tai Chi. Tai Chi, right?
1: Tai Chi. Yeah. Old person's exercise.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anybody could do that. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. I well, now, better.
3: guys, have you, Angel, ever heard of a fellow named Satchel Page?
1: Of course. Yeah.
3: Okay. So Satchel Page, I think possibly was one of the br- most brilliant men who ever lived in addition to being a great baseball player. Uh huh. But we, so we did a book about Satchel Page a long time ago. And, you know, I'm, I'm refining and getting the nice Shadowland WordPress web website all done up. And so I'm refining. Anyway, we did this book uh-huh. and Satchel Page has a list of, um, tips for, for a happy living eight, uh, six little tips. And these are so brilliant that I need you. I, I'm going to read them, and then I, can, you know, if you want them, I'll, I'll put them in the in the chat. But it, it goes like this: Number one, avoid fried meats, which angry up the blood. Number two, if your stomach disputes you, lie down and pacify it with cool thoughts. Number three, keep the juices. Right. Yeah, keep the juices flowing by jangling around gently as you move. Very important right four go light go very light on the vices such as carrying on in society the so, The social ramble ain't restful five avoid running at all times
1: six <laughs> I, I do that professionally
3: Yeah, yes. six don't look back something might be gaining on you yes. brilliant things i mean for everybody listening one of these will just hit you like wow! Like the they keep the juices flowing by jangling around gently as you move. Think about that. Um, again, as you get older, jangling around all the time is a really smart thing to do, and younger people too. It What's keeps
1: jangling exactly for us. Think that don't about it. Term jangling around. Well,
3: picture picture a lanky person who's very uh, who's who doesn't want his muscles to stiffen up, and you just kind of jiggle around. You you move all the time you but in a gentle way not in a nervous way in fact i bet bob might be listening as we speak and he may have something to say about satchel pages list but that's satchel pages list and the thing is if your stomach disputes you you lie down and pacify it with cool thoughts how many times have you just realized as a growing person i shouldn't have eaten that and i'm just gonna have about to an hour
1: ago i realized that
3: <laughs> yeah these
1: are all Aquabelle really bell for lunch is yeah. not a good idea
3: that's what they say. So, yeah. So, okay. So, we, before before the show, before the show, and apropos again to our our guest, Bob Morningstar, uh, you, Angel, were talking about having seen all eight episodes of a new series, a new yes. thing, twice of this weekend. Twice. Twice,
1: I said. Twice. Three. I marathoned it twice in in two different languages. That's how I wrote, Nancy. Two and, and, languages. And was,
3: yeah. Was there any difference? Wow. Was there any I can't difference?
1: Uh yes, one I understood everything and the other one I sort of understood everything.
3: Interesting. Interesting. Well, and which was which was which? <laughs> I'm
1: going to leave that to your imagination.
3: Yeah. Well, so okay, so we're talking about
1: the uh series is called 112263, which it actually is perfect uh, to talk about because of yeah. what we have on tonight. Right. It deals with the Kennedy assassination and it, uh, it stars James Franco in probably one of his best performing roles period. I mean, he is phenomenal in this series. Right. And, it's a, and it's a mini-series,
2: by the way. It's not a big yeah, series. When I, saw the, uh, yeah, when I saw those episodes, I was really impressed with him. And
3: who's the guy who slipped, in the very beginning, he slips out for five minutes and comes back really old. He was in... Um, he's a really good actor. The he, the older guy.
1: Yeah, he is. I can't, remember. I can't place his name. For he was in bit.
3: Adaptation. He played yes. the, in Adaptation. but um, uh, And also a shout-out to Danny, because Danny set up tonight's show. And uh, on the page... Uh, my note page where I put Satchel happens to be January 20th of this year, and I have a list here of people to tell Danny to avoid. <laughs>
0: people to go <laughs>
3: tell him to avoid because he's always looking for guests. And that to me, like, too. Yeah. Ray, <laughs> Ray
1: Hernandez. Ray Hernandez. I'm just saying Ray Hernandez over and over again. No, that's not what he's on. Liminal market. messages. Ray Hernandez. Uh, yeah. messages. See, we all have
3: okay. our list. But um, By the way,
1: speaking of which, oh. I came across a video this week on YouTube of one said Mr. Hernandez, and he was doing an interview on some other uh, show. I can't remember the name of the show, and I don't want to plug it either. And uh, guess who he is trashing in this video interview?
4: Who? Ooh, ooh, ooh.
1: Our good friend Alejandro Rojas from uh, Open Minds and MUFON. I
4: wonder why? why. Why?
1: Just trashing him. You have to see it. It is so ridiculous. And I'm not talking about, like, oh, he's saying, oh, Alejandro's not a nice guy. No, no. He is trashing him, trashing Open Minds, trashing MUFON. I mean, I don't know where Ray is going to go with this thing, but if he's trashing these people that are very important in our ufology community, he ain't going to last. Not yeah. going to last, because yeah. he's making enemies and burning bridges. I
3: don't see how anybody could find anything folks. to dislike about Alejandro.
1: He's one of the yeah, nicest really people does on the planet. Like are you kidding nice me? Guy. Wow. Man, I, look, I've known Alejandro for years now. I could, I could say that I've known him for you know almost a decade, and he is one of the nicest guys I've ever met on the internet. Well, the exactly. He's just a nice, nice person.
3: I and Bill matter. and I have 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 the only reason to dislike him on the planet, mm-hmm. and that was he basically was hired to compete with us, UFO Magazine. And yeah, but that
1: wasn't his fault, though. I
3: mean, it wasn't his fault. But not only I mean, that, it once you get to know him. Once you get to know him, you just you you can't dislike him, you know. Right. But as you said, I had we had a reason to say, oh, these people they they want to put us out of. But you know, you we know? put ourselves out of business quite quite handily. <laughs>
1: and
0: there was no one, no one <laughs> and he,
1: When he was on your show, I mean, you guys, I mean, yeah. And you were on his show. I mean, it, it was it was beautiful to to see that interaction with all of you guys and Alejandro. I mean, he, he even told me he was like, man, I can't believe they had not you know, been on Open Minds before. It's yeah, Nancy and Bill Burns. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, he well, loves you guys. You know, it wasn't like I there know. was any hatred between them and you at all. So and so, no. what
3: what could Ray find to dislike? Out of curiosity.
2: Oh, Ray wow.
1: believes,
2: <laughs> Ray believes that none of the establishment, and he's calling open minds establishment, that none of the really establishment UFO research organizations. Penetrate deep enough to get to what is really <laughs> happening <laughs> with areas of contact. That's uh, that's his. That's his, That's what he told me. That's basically what he believes. Uh-huh.
1: And of course, their cover over at Free is uh, well—you just go on a website, put whatever story you want on there. We won't even check it if it's accurate or authentic. We're just going to believe you. That's a much better way of doing it, right?
2: Well, that's only step one. I mean, step two is they refine. With a, a deeper questionnaire, and then yeah, they interview but, the people to to really to corroborate the story. And but there's look no, but, there, but there's no,
1: yeah. But the, the, here's the thing, though: how many really good or, or how many excellent liars have you known that could overcome any discrepancies in a story?
2: Oh, sure. And then, and and then, what you have to do, which I, I'm expecting they will do, is when you get enough data that points in different directions you really try and cull from that data the are the most important trends and in so doing you're going to eliminate what looks to you to be some of the obvious hoaxes
1: but yet they're not doing any of that uh by the way 618 you're live on the air on uh, future theater welcome 618 hello hello
3: hello 618 hello it's well, a shy then. person. It's a very, very shy person.
1: It's not there. Huh? Yeah, um, goodbye, 618. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> hey, but, hey, we should give out the number, actually,
2: speaking we of should. which. Yeah. Go
1: ahead. You want to go ahead? Um,
2: if you uh, want to call in, call.
3: I'm pulling it up. Just be quiet. <laughs> oh, my God. Shut <laughs> up. You know, I have other things. Two years
1: me. later, Bill, you figured she would know the number, right? Two and a half years now.
3: Uh, I'm finding, I don't even know my own. You should put it on phone a post-it
2: number. right on the microphone. That's so what it's professionals always in front of you. do.
3: And it is seven eight six two 786-245-8127. Yes, that's the number to call in. So if you want
2: to join tonight's conversation, call that number.
3: And I believe it. everything works. I think we have, you know, we have conquered Skype for the for the night. Chris is is gently sitting out there.
0: Um, I am. I am. And I have, actually am off of mute right now on the on the phone, but I'm playing that and doing my best.
3: And you know, um, you uh, did tell us last weekend. And did you post the, your photos from um, I Did uh, up on the web? Yeah, because I have not been up. Yep. If yeah, okay. I, I, they tell me Facebook is quite happening, <laughs> but I don't go there. <laughs>
0: To a lot of place, people. Honey. It was very, very fun and exciting, and and uh, there was just a lot of people and a lot of rain. On a of lot that. of rain,
3: yeah. And and also let's let's, uh, let's uh, tell everybody once again. There's Vaughn. What is the rest of the Vaughn one?
0: Vaughn. Vaughnlive.com.
3: Vaughnlive.com. And what is yours, Angel?
1: <laughs> uh, what uvu? Uvu. Really? We go through this every we're week. The... I have to. Every have... week we're talking about this.
3: I know. Uvu. I have. I still haven't gone there. I'm afraid. No. I'm afraid, and and worse, I, you know, it's hard keeping up with everything. I never bothered with Instagram, ever, and it kind of just kind of passed me by. So,
1: well, Instagram is kind of losing me. Also, they uh, they were bought out by Facebook, and now they're changing. Oh,
3: really? Well, Facebook not digging it. What's going to – you know, the only way f- – I understand so many people are on Facebook. It's sort of like all – you know, like maybe Bob um, will um, – but all you guys know this. All, the major traffic comes from Facebook for probably everything that you do that's in the enterprise world, the radio Pretty shows. And, At this
1: point, yeah. Yeah.
2: Even uh, f- traditional publishers are telling their authors, if you don't have a Facebook page, make one. If yep. you don't know how to use Facebook – Here's how to use hmm. it. Yep. I mean that's you know I'll uh, uh, post your book and covers yet, on and Facebook. And yet, for my
3: instincts, for my stomach, for my uh, peace of mind, I don't go there very much. Because, no, Facebook
2: turns my stomach.
3: Well, it does mine too. Because here's what happens: you're happy, you're happy, you're happy. Oh my God, he died.
1: Yeah, but if you think of that, you can't wait. I never had that on Facebook. But anyway, but if you think of it like that, Nancy. Well, and you get don't, don't watch the news, that's don't go out
2: anywhere.
3: No, 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 but at our age, same
2: thing. No, but at but our it, age, it, it's, it's, it's different. It, it's not. It's it's not death itself. It it's is Facebook. people you know. Hey, wait a minute.
3: And not only He's that. He's that old? Oh
0: yeah. I, I don't know. Well, yeah. That's a it speaking sucks. of Alan Young from the star of Mister Ed, who died at a, at a tender age of ninety six.
2: Yeah, which, and, uh, which pisses me ago, off? because so, yeah, yeah. I know. Which which basically gets me upset because he was one of the people we were interviewing right. for one of the books we were doing, you know, we were starting you want another book to your business
3: model a little bit about these about chasing chasing people who are off on off on their land. Yeah, well, train. now
2: that's one book we're not going to do. Exactly. A- a- Alan Young made so much money. The story of Mister Ed is 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 one of the most incredibly stupid stories um, in most Yes, of his
1: history. yes, yes.
2: It started Every- out as Francis the Talking Mule. That's where it started out. And, and, if, and where did that come from? That came all the way back from the 1940s. He was an army mule. That's what I thought. Right? Yeah. And that was something, and that movie was made starring Donald O'Connor. And it was made starring Donald O'Connor because Mickey Rooney thought that that movie wouldn't do anything. So he and his company never bought the rights to Francis the Talking Mule. Francis the Talking Mule, by the way, in case anybody is interested, comes out of the Old Testament. But that's a whole other story. But anyway.
0: Mr. Ed is a holy horse? No way. It's the first they real They got city. Mr. Ed to talk by using dental floss, by rubbing it on his gums back no, and forth. No, that and wasn't was
1: what, no, man, it was peanut butter.
0: It's peanut butter. It was peanut butter for no. dogs. No. I was peanut butter dental floss.
1: No no, 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 no! It was peanut butter. That's been Ooh. that's a own no trick.
2: Alan Young owned a piece of that television show. So uh, he his manuscript may still be floating around. Rick may still have his manuscript. But Alan Young actually owned a piece of that television show, and literally until two days ago, the day he died, he was basically looking at accounting sheets. Uh,
1: what wow.
2: accounting sheets? Making wow. money. TV show. Are
1: you serious? Yeah. How? That, oh, no. yeah. that show doesn't yeah. play anywhere except for reruns.
2: Exactly. Neon but barely.
1: Thread.
0: Neon thread, it says. I Googled it in his mouth. They used neon thread. It said they would rub it back and forth. I don't believe and it. And it would make his gums uh, move back and forth. And uh, said they used basically floss, which actually might come into tie because he had his girlfriend horse in the other stable named Flossie. <laughs> so maybe there was a tie there. Well, yeah. Well,
3: but it wouldn't hurt him, don't you think? Yanking his jaw around with floss? It's just... Uh, I don't know. I don't
0: know. That's what it says here, so...
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I'm looking at another I've report... I've heard the and peanut butter it's trick it's for years, it's but butter.
2: then I... Well, the peanut butter is used... And... It's used with dogs all the time.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm looking at another report on Yahoo. Hollywood used peanut butter to make Mr. Ed talk. So... Conflicting reports much too much.
3: Well, in, in a similar vein Mr. That, you Ed red like
0: you know, the... free encyclopedia right here, so I don't know. I, well, I'm calling Batsquatch on that encyclopedia.
1: Well,
2: somebody should go to IMDB and look up Mr. Ed and because you'll probably figure out there how they got him to talk.
1: Yeah, an and, excellent what, and what,
2: it, yeah. Excellent point, Bill. Yeah in any event, Alan Young did very, very well with Mr. Red, um, and Mickey Rooney didn't. Do yeah. you think that might
1: be one of the mistakes of Mickey Rooney's career that he regretted deeply? Oh,
2: absolutely. He he told yeah. me he did. I mean, he, he, he said Big it. Big
1: time. Huh? I yeah. mean, he would have been hilarious in the series if we, he would actually have been.
2: He Wilbur. actually did a Francis the Talking Mule movie, which did nothing like the original Francis the Talking Mule movies with Donald O'Connor. I mean, Mickey ah, and Donald O'Connor were paired in a nightclub act for years until Donald O'Connor had a heart attack. Wilbur. And it is the bottom of the hour, so uh, we will take our break, and we will come back with our guest, uh, Mr. Robert Morningstar, and talk about... Uh, what he's writing, the columns he's writing, and uh, in just uh,
3: before, before, we, before we break, I do want to say, before it's the bottom of the show, um, this is our 299th show. And Yeah. Next, yeah, wow. yeah, next week is our 300th show, and we are celebrating mm-hmm. with Christopher Giordano.
2: Christopher Giordano on yeah, Memorial Day. Nice
1: Memorial evening. Day, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Garitano. Garitano. Garratano, yeah, uh, yeah, you keep, yeah. You keep you keep mixing them with Rich Giordano.
3: I do. I I blend the two one hundred percent, and I'll be. It, it, and everybody it's, loves both guys. What?
1: Do you want me to bring Rich back on? Because I'll, I'll ask him to come back and be a guest again. Not nine the
3: nine same night. night, because that would be confusing. <laughs> oh. Maybe you can call in. It'll be a party. We'll have a party. Yes, indeedy. So they put. Uh, we got
1: so to get Danny on now so we can make uh, Rich come back on here. I'll get Danny both. Yeah.
3: And by the way, the whole thing with the, uh, you know, and so the chat is mentioning peanut butter on red thread and stuff. I wanted to just point out that the ubiquitous flip Razor phone is coming back because people like a flip phone so much. And speaking of, you know, effects special effects and how are they done and and we knew the guy who invented the flip phone um, in Star Trek.
2: Wa Ming Chang. We met the the uh,
3: special effects wizard who created yeah. Wa Ming Chang from the original series. If you look him up it's W A H his his first name, Wa M I N G and then C H A N G and he was in his I believe his eighties or nineties when we met him up in Carmel. And it was a an absolutely magical day. In which, you know, he he was in a walker at that point, but he'd been a wizard and had had polio his whole life. So I think he was in a walker his whole life. But anyway, um, he'd been a wizard at special effects, and he's the guy who invented uh, for the time machine that wonderful
2: little uh, mo- the Judge Powell model. You know,
3: the little model that they ride in the um, uh, it looks like a carriage. The time machine. The
2: actual machine itself, the thing that turns and back. Right. That was his design. Um, and they,
3: but the razor phone was in Star Trek. It was a it was a faulty, uh, it, it was a flip lid. He couldn't keep up, and so they just kind of worked with it rather than not do the scene that it where it failed in. Right. It you
1: was know. a yeah. It, um, it was a mistake that became an epic success. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, of the exactly. original yeah. Star Trek yeah. communicator. Right. So yes. everybody
3: who worries about not making it, just remember, uh, just be true to yourself. Um, carry on. It's one of the weirdest things. If you're just
2: an honest true person. He's the guy who invented he's the guy who invented that alien head that turns up on the outer limits, but he's also the guy in this episode with Gorn, right? The evil Gorn, the lizard guy. We yeah, need
3: to write an article about this and, and put this yes. guy put will put our memories and, and the photos. I wrote a whole
2: book have. about it.
3: Well no, but I'm saying our visit and I have photos from the time and the whole thing. So I you know, I'm trying to get Bill to do a blog. I think it'd be just fun. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. See, Angel would read it
1: Chris every would, day. Yeah, every he would.
3: Day. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Then maybe you'd read mine. <laughs> just saying.
2: Yes. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And maybe we should just take our break our now at the up bottom up. of the hour and come <laughs> back with Robert yeah. Morningstar because that's what we'll do. So everybody, we well, are your co-hosts. three
3: hundred shows, but that you're pretty professional.
2: We are. <laughs>
1: your-
0: <laughs> Go ahead, Bill.
2: We're future theater live on the dark matter radio network and the uh, dark matter digital network and PSN radio. And we're back with our guest Robert Morningstar after these messages. So don't go away.
4: That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com.
0: Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction.
1: And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk
0: radio from TalkStream Live. Now
1: available in the iTunes App Store.
0: Here's a riddle for you. What do the California gold rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, Mysterious nineteenth century flying machines and an early twentieth century outside artist named Charles A. A. Delshaw all have in common The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. <laughs>
2: are back with our guest, Robert Morningstar, a Power Memorial High School alumnus, and one year behind the fabulous Lew Cinder Confirmed. Today, what is Kareem Al-Jabbar?
1: Confirmed.
2: Power Memorial Academy. Power Memorial.
3: And what, kind of, school, what kind of school was that?
4: It was a uh, college prep school yep. run by the Irish Christian Brothers. Yeah. Uh, God bless them. Yeah. And... and it was actually college. <laughs> when I got into college, I realized that my high school was a college already. And I'm still going on the things that uh, I learned there.
3: Well, well Bob, re- is, it, is, is Morningstar your real name?
4: It is my real name, and it is something that I became.
3: Wow. Well, are, and is your heritage Jewish? At, at, at,
4: at- I am Sephardic Jewish on my mother's side. I'm German, English on my father's side. But my father was born in Yugoslavia.
3: And what do you mean it's something that you're becoming?
1: It's not like uh, like the Red Dragon in uh, Hannibal, right? You're not becoming the Red uh, Dragon. (laughs) No, it's… On the good side. You know,
4: everyone everyone has a real name and a real identity, and uh, it's something that you have to find. And through the process of Tai Chi and uh, following uh, my spiritual course, uh, I discovered my true heritage, and I'm a descendant of Morgan Stearns. Uh, of
3: Morgan uh, Stearns. Oh, Morgan Stearns, like Marjorie Morningstar. Yeah, exactly. Marjorie Morgan right,
4: yes, exactly. Yes. That's why everybody asked me that, and I said, yes, she's my sister. And uh, I was deeply in love with Natalie Wood since oh, childhood. My so were we all. Yeah. So yes. were we all. Yeah, so, Bill, yes, I did go to Power Memorial Academy, and uh, as I told. So, um, where, did um, you
2: where, uh, where did you Manhattan. live? Where did you live? I've lived in
4: Manhattan all my life. I was okay. conceived in New Orleans, born in Nicaragua, came to New York uh wow when I was 4 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, have lived here now for 64 years. Wow. So I was I was conceived on the Mississippi River in New Orleans. On my father's uh, my father was a merchant marine captain. Wow. And he romanced my mother on his ship. And I'm very and, happy and- to say uh Me and Mark Twain are buddies. That's very. That's also.
3: It sounds like African Queen a little bit.
4: Well, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Yeah, That's another beautiful, beautiful uh, relationship. So, so uh, while we're on the subject of New Orleans, I want to thank Danny Benton, who's uh, who got us together, and I also want to thank my friend Jerry, Jerry Barre, who's a very close and dear friend of mine in New Orleans. So,
3: well, now Danny really is from New Orleans like he says.
4: Yeah, Danny I, from New Orleans. New Orleans, yeah. New Orleans, yeah. I understand Angel lived there, too. I did. I yeah, New Orleans needs, is, yeah. a, you know, I have been listening to the, uh, the first half hour, and so since we're talking about New Orleans, I want to clarify something. Yes, I found the story about um, Ted Cruz's father, and I'd been looking at those photographs for 30 years and wondering who those people were in the background, uh, the Cuban fellows, and once I saw the photograph and uh, the, the young Ted Cruz Sr., the old Ted Cruz Sr. in that picture, I have studied, I learned Chinese physiognomy uh, from the top Chinese master ever to come to America. His name was Dr. Timothy Marr. And he showed me how to diagnose uh, using Chinese physiognomy and also how to identify and there are 80 at least 80 points on the face the relation geometric relationships between the brow the chin the nose the uh the cheeks the position of the ears relative to the brow wrinkles furrows uh its uh shape of the lips corners of the lips uh etc etc and it took me about 5 seconds to realize that there's uh there was 95 to 98% probability that it was uh, Ted Cruz, Sr. So I sent that, um, that report to a list of 50 of the top JFK researchers in the United States, ergo the world, and Lee Oswald's uh, paramour, Judith Vary Baker, wrote back to me that she had been present when those pamphlets were being handed out. And that Lee had told her, Judy, get away. I don't want you to be too close, you know. I don't want people to see us together. But she wrote back that she, she agreed that it was Ted Cruz Sr. And subsequently, I began investigating the veracity of the story and the source of the story. And I think you're all going to be very surprised. Now, I broke this on um, April... It was around April fifteenth, sixteenth. This in particular email. For the next three days, I worked on verification and tracking back the story. So the story was sent to me by one of my contacts in the JFK research field, and it came from the Marshall Report, uh, a, a small blog by a lady named Diane Marshall. In the blog, she referred to Wayne Madsen. So I went to Wayne Madsen's site. Mm-hmm. Wayne Madsen. Wayne Madsen referred back. To his source as David Zephyr and something called DU but Wayne Madsen didn't know what DU was mm-hmm. so I researched that guess who leaked the story Who originally Democratic Underground oh so cool that's, yeah so it, it probably came from the Clinton camp
3: but what, because, about, the, what about this Gary Welsh who committed oh, suicide well, he, he
4: leaked it in Indiana after I leaked all of this information Uh, You mentioned Roger Stone. Roger Stone is a friend of mine on Facebook, so I put it on Facebook first, and from there it it was disseminated, so he probably did get it to the National Enquirer.
2: Well, I just – because I've done so many books that the National Enquirer has picked up on because I'm friends with them, with American media, and in one of the conversations where you don't discuss sources, obviously Mm -hmm. – because I even, I even said to them, I said, come on, it was Roger Stone. Because Roger Stone, we had on the book, on the Dr. Feel Good book, Roger Stone was, is good friends with my writing partner, Rick Lertzman. That, uh, that's mm-hmm. who he's really good friends with. Mm-hmm. And so they were working on gambling and politics in Ohio together. That's how they know each other. So, um, I mean, it was Rick that told me that Roger was really like the lonesome end. You know, like the the way split end on the Donald Trump campaign that Mm -hmm. he was out there to do the stuff he was going to do. He was the um, he was the um, good analogy. Yeah. He was the sharp, you know, for the British platoons, that guy, you know, he was always out front. Yeah, that's who he was. But he said, yeah, he's working for the campaign. Sure. He's friends with him. Well, he
4: wrote a book. He wrote a book recently with another colleague, friend of mine has been on my list for years. Robert Morrow. Who has been on the trail of Lyndon Johnson for God knows how many years? Right. Yeah, all these people are very, very dedicated to the field of JFK investigation. He meant well. I'll speak for myself. He meant the world to me, yeah. and he did, he just direct, has directed my life. Some other time, I will tell you more about how deep the spiritual bond between my me and John F. Kennedy is, but. Uh, he's an, he's an ever present companion to me in my life.
3: Well, how, how old were you when he was killed?
4: I was 15 years old, but I had been following John F. Kennedy since 1958. When I first saw him on, uh, meet the press or one of those, uh, Mm -hmm. television programs on Sunday, Mm -hmm. he just stood out and he was the most amazing, amazingly charismatic person of of his times and so I started following him when he was Senator Kennedy for those two years when all the rumors started to come up to whether he was gonna run or not and you know very much like Donald Trump yeah, is he gonna run yeah and so you know and honestly I tell you I think John, Donald Trump is John F Kennedy of our times and John F Kennedy was extremely rich very well-educated. I
3: believe my head
4: has just exploded. Good. <laughs> I, I love to do that. I live, and, Nancy, I have to say Mind thank blown, you. Nancy. Thank you very much for your concern when you thought it was I who had uh, been killed. But, um, yes, this well, reporter... Well, yeah, by
3: suicide. But it well, was, you yeah,
4: know, yeah. I don't know if he was suicided. People don't usually shoot themselves on a stairwell, you know?
3: Exactly. Yeah. You know what
4: I mean? It's, it is a suspicious death. Um but uh, just like uh, Gary Webb, another very right, creative. and I, I
3: just never believe that uh, most reporters that I've known, and I've been one my whole life, just are not the suicidal type. They would still. Yeah, that's what's surprising
2: about, about Gary it. Webb. Yeah, that you know, th- th- yeah, that, yeah, that yeah.
4: did me. I, I don't believe Gary Webb killed. Uh, yeah,
2: I, I don't think so. I he
4: exposed. He exposed the Bush Clinton right exactly bottle.
2: the October and, they they
4: weren't they weren't uh pleased with him and they, they it wasn't it wasn't enough for them to ruin his life his career uh the san jose mercury news was very courageous at first to publish his work but then they turned tail and uh chose and abandoned him and uh you know they lost my they lost my respect be that as it may i was i had a very profound spiritual experience in 1975 when my Tai Chi master, Professor Cheng Man Cheng, passed away. His ghost came to me. I grew extremely frightened as he approached, um, but and it communicated to me something that has never left me and these are the words he said to me. Don't be afraid, Robert. Nothing can harm you. And every, t- every time that I have faced a critical situation Uh, faced with death, uh, near-death experiences, uh, leaving the body and uh, praying to be allowed to come back. Mm -hmm. That has always stayed with me. And I have had some very terrifying experiences with uh, spirits who have reached out from the other side. And that has always uh, held me together.
2: Well, well well, what do you think of something that, I mean, Carlos Castaneda said this, that, that, and, and I, I don't know what to make of it. He said that human beings live in a world where there are spirits that they can't see on all sides of them. And there's a war going on with spirits pulling one way and another way, and like the way of the warrior, yes. according to this guy Don Juan, is to be able to navigate through the world of spirits, even the ones that are harmful. Absolutely
4: right. And let me go back to Power Memorial Academy. We were trained to be spiritual warriors at Power. And we were trained not just to be brains, but to be athletes. And that uh, that um, tradition was, was ingrained in me. And that's why I still look the way I look. Uh, I am 68 years old, and I will be 68 years old in October. But I have the physique, and I'm, my weight and my height is exactly as Mickey Mantle in 1957. <laughs> but my icon, see, I keep my form because I keep my heroes in my mind. My self-image uh, is is uh, superimposed on my heroes. And my first hero was Flash Gordon, played by Buster Crabb.
2: Oh, that was a wonderful series. That was a, Mine was actually mine was actually Dale Arden, played by Carol Hughes. Myself, <laughs> but that's just oh, me. Oh yes, yeah, I, I love them all. Okay, here's oh, okay. Here's a trivia test for you. You're not as old as I am, but here's a trivia test for you. <clears throat> what character, real life character, is Emperor Ming the Merciless? Charles Middleton. Well, that's his real name is Charles Middleton. He's the actor,
4: but real, the real actor. life character?
2: He's playing somebody in real life.
4: Oh, you know, well, if it was a historical figure, I thought that he was Joseph Stalin.
2: He's Nikola Tesla. No, not, yeah. not Ming the Merciless. Yeah, because yeah, the Zarkoff, death ray. Dr. Yeah, Zarkov Well, figure. Dr. Zarkoff, too. There were both sides of Tesla, but uh-huh. it was Ming the Merciless death ray from Mongo. That was the um, uh, that was the Nikola Tesla death ray that he said oh, he could do. Really
4: so insightful, you know, because I review The Flash Gordon. You know, in order to keep my icon alive in my mind's eye, I, I review the movies and uh, I enjoy them every few years.
2: You know, it's a very gay series. You know that, don't uh, you? Well, <laughs> Flash Gordon wasn't <laughs> gay. <a little> <laughs> he had well, remember. those shorts. Come on. I mean, you still- Oh, don't <laughs> I? think yeah, he's, I don't so believe that. You know, a, I wear shorts like that. And I'm, but listen,
4: l- as long as we're on this subject, and as I, I read your bio, and uh, it said that you are uh, a very uh, PhD in linguistics, I'd like to reclaim the word "gay." Okay?
2: Okay. Go People ahead,
4: in right. the gay nineties were not all homosexuals; they were just gay and happy and well, cheerful.
2: They, were, they wasn't homosexuals for the most <laughs> yeah, part. Yeah, I
4: know. But I, so I, like- I can say, yes, I'm gay. I'm happy. I'm cheerful. But I'm not homosexual, so let me reclaim that word. But uh, on that aside, you're very insightful because the last few times that I saw, I've seen the Flash Gordon series, including the Purple Death from Outer Space, which is about chemtrails, folks. um, I realized that what they were leaking was Tesla technology. Right. Oh, the gadgetry, the wireless devices, the the death ray, Absolutely. the stun gun. It was at, at Tesla, rate. and I said to myself, "You know, Tesla must have been a technical consultant to this movie." The other interesting thing is who wrote the screenplay. That's right, George Plimpton. Yes, this uh, and you George, know what?
3: Plimpton wrote, wrote the screenplay. For, Not George
4: Plimpton Jr. Jo- George Plimpton Sr. Senior. Senior.
3: Un- and he was Come the on. old
4: guy. Yeah, the old you stuff. mean
3: George Plimpton Jr. had a writer for a father? Yeah. Ooh. yeah. That,
4: how do you think he got in? I hate That's that. True. I hate that. Yes. Okay. Yes, so, a- but here's the other thing. You know, when I watched Flash Gordon as a kid and even as a young adult, I used to look at the moon and say, what a crazy idea of the moon. Look at that place. Uh, you know. And then I became expert in in lunar studies and I go, Holy mackerel! Those guys were really—they really did a job. Uh, there are sections of the moon, they're very accurately. The highlands, uh, the lunar highlands, and the way the mountains just shoot up uh, out of nowhere, out of a flat plain, like Mount Piton, P-I-T-O-N. Mm-hmm. It, it I saw a picture of that taken in 1928. Uh, by the lowell observatory in an encyclopedia i collect old books so i collect an encyclopedia from the 1920s which are charming with their drawings and this photo and it looked to me like i was looking down on the empire state building on the moon and and that's what really got me study uh, started in lunar studies this was in the 80s what the heck is that thing and so I had to. Yeah,
3: so, so, Robert, what do you think about the concept that it's all a hoax? That what we're looking at is um, uh, Kubrick's this, this vision? Is,
4: see. This is what I said. Let me say. The pictures are altered, but they're not altered because we didn't go to the moon. They're altered to hide what was found there. As far as Kubrick is concerned, Kubrick did a film in case the astronauts crashed and died. Kubrick had a film that was going to be shown, and perhaps was shown, so that if the astronauts crash, we would not all be traumatized as we were when uh, the space shuttle Challenger blew up.
3: Yeah, and Angel, tell tell, tell Robert. Oh my
1: God, I, Robert, have you seen, um, there's a few YouTube videos out right now talking about this, and I've actually done a little homework behind it and traced them back. Uh, they're claiming that the uh, Challenger explosion was a hoax and that
4: oh, yes, I've the seen.
1: astronauts have all survived and there's actually uh, a few websites that have them in their current employment. At, you know, as part of the website. One is even like a lawyer, uh the the lady McAlfie, McAlfie? Oh, uh,
2: Krista oh, uh, Yeah, what, I've, yeah. Seen Chris, I've seen that. Listen. You can
1: actually go back to the page uh, Sh- uh Shannon. Shannon or Shannon or something like that name. Anyway, you can actually go to the page Where the company she works for, same lady. I mean her, it's her.
4: Well, we all have doubles, and I don't know if you have, but I have run into. Oh,
1: I don't know, but this same name, same look, same face, same yeah. everything. I mean, it, it's. I don't very-
4: buy that. I don't buy that at all. Oh, I don't, yeah, I up do to this, I think, don't put do it up
1: think, as the government.
2: But but but, Robert, but there's no reason said, for it. Wait, I mean, to go through sure. that much. But there's
1: What's yeah. the reason?
2: What's the reason? The,
3: the physiogamy study. All yeah. you have to do is put the face-to-face. You can. You,
4: Robert was just describing that earlier in the show. I'll tell you, those people look too young to be. I've seen all those photographs, and those people look too young now to be those people who died then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was – I mean, that was – A was very, that? very long time ago. Yeah, no, but it was it – was, uh, was, was, it it you. You, Let me tell was, you what was, I think, no. The Kubrick. Let me tell you what – You know, In the process of dismantling the JFK assassination disinformation matrix – I've learned how the disinformation technology and technique of NASA works. Let me tell you what what I believe happened. Okay. Kubrick shot a film, video, and uh, a TV version. And while they were going to the moon, they were playing this video, while the astronauts were really doing a military spy mission to find out who the UFOs or what the UFOs were doing on the moon. So they were playing this video, and playing this dialogue while the astronauts were really going to the moon, and as the astronauts were really landing on the moon, they were playing this video, and uh, they they landed on the moon, and then they switched over to a real uh, video. Bill, do you? I, I tell this to people because I was so engrossed in the space program, and I have God gifted me with a remarkable memory when Aldrin landed on and and when. Um, Armstrong and Aldrin landed on the moon. Mm -hmm. Armstrong went down the stairs. The picture was upside down. The picture was upside down, and the astronaut didn't go down the ladder from up to down. He went down the ladder from upside down from from the bottom to the top. In the years since then, they've reversed, inverted the image. But that is something that really stays in my mind, and I thought did they do that on purpose to mix us up or to give us an idea, the idea that we're really totally on a different world? And I think it was to create cognitive dissonance in all of us in the same manner that the Zapruder film, uh, with its jumps and cuts and inserted uh, frames, does the same thing. It it creates a moment that, that stunts and stumps your mind and confuses you. As it did me the very first time I saw it, uh, when it was shown on CBS in 1968, and I would remember, this was not done overnight. The Zapruder film was a top secret; was not shown, but people demanded it. And in 1968, CBS showed the opening part just before, to the point before the president's head is is explodes literally.
2: But, but you know, the a film that was shown. It was really – it was a very old version of 16 millimeter where you're putting together two 8 millimeter frames because the person who actually has a camera, has a duplicate camera that actually uh, Zabruder had that day is – he's out in California. He's the – he's a film director uh, Mm -hmm. and producer. His name is Philippe Mora. He produced Communion with Whitley Strieber and he actually – I mean we were playing with the camera in his apartment. I have one here. I had one.
4: That's why I know it so well. Yes, it is. The film originally is a sixteen millimeter film in a cartridge that you flip, and then when you develop it, you split the film right down the middle and creates the two eight millimeter strips. Right. But be that as it may, the film, the camera was is actually uh, had the capacity for slow motion. And when Zapruder testified before the Warren Commission, he told him in no uncertain terms, I shot this film in slow motion because he started questioning him. And he said, uh, uh, you shot the film and how, what speed did you shoot? And he said, 24 frames per second. And they said, no, no, no. The FBI says it was 18 frames per second. He says, no, I shot that film at 24 frames per second. Because
2: they took the frames out.
4: Of course. So uh, – at least one quarter of the film is gone Exactly, and it's at least ten feet and not only that i've dissected that film and i can tell you how it fools you as it fooled me the first time that it was shown i saw it at seven o'clock cbs news and at the critical point where the car passes by the sign i blinked or i thought i blinked and i said to myself Wow, how could I blink at such a, a critical moment? And I said, Oh, they're going to show it again at 11 o'clock. I'll watch it then. And now at 11 o'clock, at, at 7 o'clock, I was 100% concentrated. At 11 o'clock, I was 104%, like they said to the Challenger. Challenger go, 104%, 104%, throttle up. I was so concentrated, and all of a sudden I blinked at exactly the same point. And I was shocked. And I walked away with a bad feeling in my stomach. I felt like I wanted to throw up. I had feelings of... I had a sensation of confusion, ashamed of myself. How could I blink twice at exactly the same point in the film? It was something that bothered me for 30 years until I found that particular version of the film. And there are many versions of the film. Yeah. And what it was is... I discovered that at that particular frame, Z212, the film is radically cut. It is really chopped and it is joined and a lot of blue glue that they used in those days to join film was used and magic black marker was used to obscure certain things that happened to the sign and at the sign. But I found that version and it was this. In that version, that particular frame where I was able to find the disjunction, they put a completely black frame in. Mm-hmm. And for 1 of a second, a black frame appeared. And I'll tell you, if 20 million people were watching that, 20 million people thought they blinked. But nobody turned to the other and said, hey, did you just blink? Yeah, I think I just blinked. No, this is how disinformation technology works. Now, what happened at the sign? When the car got behind the sign, the car actually stopped. And the first shots rang out. The shot in the back and the shot in the throat. And President Kennedy actually stood up in the car and Zapruder saw his red head pop up and then sink back down behind the sign. And he told the Warren Commission that. And they said, no, you couldn't have seen that. The, pre- the president was obscured by the sign. And he said, no, I saw his hair, his, his head come up. The other thing is the Secret Service men Their attention was drawn to him because they claimed that the president said, "Oh my God, I've been shot," and they said, "No, that's impossible because he was shot in the throat; he couldn't have said anything." And so they start to harass the the Kellerman and Greer, and uh, Arlen Specter was a a
2: big. uh, He was. He was. He he, was the attorney for the Warren Commission. Exactly. He
4: he is one of the real villains in this whole thing. He sure is because he's the guy who brought you will appreciate this. He was in the United States Air Force, and he was a member of the FOC, mm-hmm. Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Yep. It's the same guys that shut down all the UFO things. I found like his Richard name. Richard Doty. Like Richard Doty. So anyway, they started harassing the Secret Service men uh, that they couldn't have heard that, and he couldn't have said it. And finally, he said, how can you be so sure? And they turn it, one of them turned to them and he said, he said it in a Boston accent. And that ended that conversation. But what Zapruder was saying at 24 frames, he said, I'm, I shot this film in slow motion. And they realized we can't pursue this anymore. So they just dropped the subject and they let it go. So it goes on and on and on. Well,
2: well Paul Landis, who was on the Jackie Kennedy protection detail, uh-huh. I know him because he was friends with Max. Ja- well, he wasn't friends. Nobody was friends with Max Jacobson, but he was friends with Mark Shaw. Mark Shaw was the Kennedy family photographer. Mark Shaw was a CIA non-official cover officer. Now, he was friends with Kennedy, um, and he was the film photographer, and he was filming people. He was was the guy that was filming all those Audrey Hepburn shots in the late 1950s and doing all those glamour shots for Vogue and Mademoiselle. Mm Mm-hmm he did a a piece on the Kennedys back in the 50s and that's when Kennedy invited him to be the official photographer for the White House. But Mark Shaw was CIA. Kennedy Mm -hmm. didn't know that. And um, Mark Shaw was a patient of Max Jacobson just like Kennedy was. Dr. Feelgood? Yeah. He -hmm. was a patient of Dr. Feelgood. He was a patient of Dr. Feelgood even before um, Jack Kennedy was. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: And um, he had an affair. Mark Shaw had an affair with Max Jacobson's second wife. And Max Jacobson overdosed him with methamphetamines and killed him.
4: Oh, my God. And so, I mean, the, villainy, the villainy surrounding the, this, uh, that administration was, was incredible. Um, Mary Meyer, you know.
2: Well, Mary Meyer, you know, oh, we interviewed her sister, um, uh, Tony Bradley for the book on Dr. Feelgood. Um, this was years and years ago. Uh-huh. And um, she said what was in the diary that uh, James Angleton was after was in, in, in the diary that her sister Mary wrote. Um, I mean, she was bringing Mary Meyer, well, Mary Pinchot, mm-hmm. Mary uh, was bringing LSD. Yes. She was the go-between between Timothy Leary and the White well, House. I knew Tim Leary. Tim yes, Leary. so did I. I, I knew him in New York City. One of, the great, one of the great people,
4: the great minds of the 20th uh, century, and um, I cherish his memory. But well, he the tells the story a story of...
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he,
4: he said uh, some really uh, remarkable things. Uh, at one of his lectures, somebody asked him, Said a young man said, Tim, how can we make our way through this world, when we're being fooled at every turn, we don't know what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's not true, how can we succeed? And he said, he said to this young man, he said, the first thing you have to know and the first thing you have to do is make sure that your navigation is right because if your navigation is not right, you will not get to your destination, you will not succeed. And I thought that was such a pithy statement. You
3: mean your moral compass?
4: Your moral compass, but also your perceptions. I'm talking I'm talking about mind control that operated on all of us, our entire generation. Our brains, our minds, our perceptions were seized. They were hijacked to misperceive reality. That's why I say today that anyone who looks at the Zapruder film and believes that that is what happened is no better off than a bunch of munchkins in Oz. And the fact of the matter is, when I told this to Professor George Michael Avica, Harford University, University of Hartford, he said, You know, Robert, you're absolutely, you don't realize it, but you're absolutely right. I said, What do you mean? He said, They got the idea. They got the idea for this from the movie The Wizard of Oz. I said, What do you mean? He said, Well, Back in 1939, when that movie was made, they, they saw the idea that if you could control all of the people's perceptions, you, you could control their behavior and their thoughts. And he said, you don't know what – do you know what the Yellow Brick Road is? I said, well, uh, he says, obviously, you don't know what the Yellow Brick Road is, mm-hmm. so I'm going to tell you. He said, in 1939, a decision was made by the Roosevelt administration, and it was this. In those days, Chinese heroin was brought into the United States stacked in yellow-wrapped paper, uh, wrapped in yellow paper in, in blocks that, when joined all together, looked like a brick. So when you put all of these bricks together and laid them out, they looked like a yellow brick road. So follow the yellow brick road was a code for importing Chinese heroin Distributing it to the lower classes or the poorer classes, you know, the blacks, Hispanics, the the pardon the expression what they used to say in the old days, white trash. And well,
3: the, the munchkins, basically, the mental munchkins.
4: Well, they made mental munchkins midgets. of everyone. You almost said so, mental but Mexicans there. The no, no, mental
3: mental midgets.
4: But the part about the actual control <laughs> of perception. They wanted it, and they tried the best they could through film and through magazines and newspapers, but they could not get the whole population until the early 1960s when about 50 million TV sets had now invaded the homes of America. And it was through television, the all-seeing eye of CBS made it possible.
2: That's Tele- right. right,
3: and, and, right and, and-, and
2: guess who was the head of CBS? Yeah. I won't guess. Let me tell you. Okay. The head of CBS. Paley. Paley, Wasn't it Paley? Well, working for Paley, then he became the head, was Frank Stanton. Frank Stanton was the head of the Rockefeller Foundation at Princeton in the 1930s. Frank Stanton was the person who financed, get this, with Rockefeller money, he financed Orson Welles' Mercury Theater of the Air. Mm Mm-hmm. The war of the 1938 War of the Worlds was a test to see could they can, how much of the population could they confuse. And all the stories of riots on the streets and stuff, they were all made up. Never oh, happened. This might be beta testing.
4: You know, I just That's told you the testing. Wizard of Oz. Right. We're talking yeah. about the same year. So what you're talking about may be a beta test of the concept using radio. But they had to wait until television arrived on the scene. and was so so widely disseminated that they could get everybody's heads and eyes. The other thing that happened with the Kennedy assassination was it was the first time that this thing called pool reporting was instituted. Before that, every news agency, every news station, newspaper vied with the other competition to get the scoop. And often, newspaper men and reporters were the ones that broke broke the case, working closely with police. Mm -hmm. But With the Kennedy assassination, they funneled all the information, they filtered the information first through the Dallas Police Department, and they brought all the reporters into one setting where they could control all of the information. The only ones they didn't control were the French reporters who went out in the field, and they figured out the mafia connection very early on and exposed it in Europe.
3: Well, the French were the ones who um, showed the film about the Pentagon, and the plane going into the Pentagon, the French were the first to do that. It was completely in, incredible in, it was incredible when it first came out, the 911 conspiracy. you know, that's it's a French fresh. film. And yes. also we, we know for a fact, with the uh, uh, Flight 800 conspiracy, we know for a fact that uh, Pierre
2: the, the that Pierre Sallinger, Sallinger. Sallinger. Yeah. Yeah. Sallinger actually saw the satellite imagery. Of Can a missile released? bringing down released? the plane, and it right, was right—a missile rising from from the horizon. In yeah, fact, two- I saw the video of that. I mean, I—I I, the Navy to, uh, people on Long Island that night mm-hmm. took video of mm-hmm. that, and and I have one of the videos, and it, it, it's an incredible. Vi- I mean, sure. and they're not filming the missile. They're filming everything but the missile. And then right. the missile is off in the background, right. is off the side, and he swings the camera around and says, oh, is that a rocket? And yeah. then you see an explosion in midair. Well, here
4: again we have a, the, the Wizard of Oz me- methodology be- because what the CIA did in that case is they, they generate a cartoon.
2: That's right. And then they play
4: the cartoon in front of you, a simulation, and everybody – falls into a a kind of a hypnotic trance and buys this fake cartoon of the nose of the thing blowing off and then the thing climbing for another several thousand feet. The nose never blew off. But anyway,
2: you know that that the file on TWA Flight 800, um, the Valerie Caproni, she's now a judge, Valerie Caproni's file on um, Flight 800 is Mm -hmm. still classified top secret.
4: Yeah, let me tell you something. The, this is something that happened to me. I, I went down to Dallas three times at the JFK uh, assassination anniversary, and the last one was nineteen ninety eight. And when I got on the plane, they announced that the plane was going to fly to Washington first, and then go to New York. And I realized, my God, I am going to be flying the the course that Air Force One took um, on the that, that first leg to get to Washington, carrying the body. So I had two JFK half dollars with me. I have a whole collection. I give them to friends as souvenirs. So I asked the stewardess to give them, give one each to the pilot and co-pilot and and apprise them that they were going to be flying the course that the body flew on Air Force One. The plane took off in about... I'd say 20 minutes, half an hour into the flight, I see the cabin door open and the pilot walks out. He walks down looking for numbers. He finds my seat. He says, hey, come here, i want to talk to you. And so, I introduced myself and I told him why I was there and what I did, what I discovered. You know, the a firm, blah, blah, blah. And he said, and he was dead serious and he said to me, I want to tell you something. And this was a TWA flight I was on. Okay, mm-hmm. so, so he says to me, listen, a friend of mine the captain, TWA, was on the uh, investigative board. Terry Stacy. And he says when he saw the direction that they were taking in this investigation, he refused to go along. And he was told that if you're not going to go along with this, you better get off. He says, then he says, See, you know what they did? You know what those tests did? They took an airliner out into the desert and they filled it up with jet fuel and they tried to blow it up and then they emptied half of it and it wouldn't blow up and they tried everything they could do to make that blow up with jet fuel in there and it wouldn't blow up. What they finally did is they filled the tank with butane and then detonated it and that's what they showed you on television.
2: Well, I spoke to when we were doing UFO Hunters, we were in New Mexico and I spoke to one of the NTSB engineers because there was a big 7... We were doing a scene with uh, uh, the Nazi compass, and um, there was one of the NASA's engineers... uh, I'm sorry, the NTSB engineer was in a big 747 out there on the runway, so I said, why do you have the 747? This was in 2008, and so he said, well, we're testing the center wing tank, and I said did you ever get the center wing tank to blow up? I knew exactly what he was talking about. He said, no. I said, so, that, so the center wing tank explosion, which did happen, by the way, so the center wing tank explosion could not have been the initiating event to bring down Flight 800. And he says, no, it was a Navy missile.
4: Right. Um, at this point, I, I would, since we're talking about <clears throat> Dallas and uh, whatnot, um, I'd like to ask all the friends who are listening in the Dallas area, um, I want to point out that uh, in Bastrop, Texas, this weekend, there's going to be a huge conference on uh, breakthrough energy. And this is going to be the Global Beam uh, Breakthrough Energy Movement Conference. And I would like everyone who can attend to attend. It's.
3: Um, who who is sponsoring it?
4: Global Beam, oh, Global B E M. If you go to UFODigest.com, the lead story is the Global Beam. Um, Breakthrough Energy um, Movement Conference, and they are going to have the top researchers in zero-point energy and uh, Tesla technology uh, speaking there, including Marco Rodin, inventor of the Rodin coil. Mm -hmm. my daughters and several others so I just want to give a shout out and uh, ask friends and if you can't attend it they do have a live stream ticket I'll be watching it on live stream since I can't be there Uh, personally I'll be in New York watching it so I like to help my friends and uh, Global Beam sponsored the uh, Breakaway Civilization Secret Space Program conference in San Francisco and they gave me a platform to present my work on uh, the the revelations of Apollo, who's mining the moon and showing the UFOs that were tracking all of the Apollo missions were basically tracked and harassed at times by UFOs.
2: Oh yeah, they said in fact in fact in one of the um, kind of quote unquote missing NASA transmissions mm-hmm. um, astronauts and the rover because the the whole thing were the flashing lights on the moon. That was one of the big mysteries. Right flashing lights around the moon have been a mystery ever since, um, well, probably forever since there was a moon, Mm -hmm. but uh, they were first noticed by Cotton Mather in the 17th century. Cotton Mm -hmm. Mather, the famous New England preacher, right? Um, Was Cotton Mather, by the way, who shut down the Salem Witch Trials? Uh-huh. He told the people in Salem. He said, "Look, shut this thing down." He said, "You guys are idiots. You're killing the wrong people, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to use the language you use. By but, the way, um,
4: Bill, if, if I, I love you, you're so erudite, and you and we go on these tangents. I just want to tell you what happened with with uh, with those poor girls. Um, the play, uh, The Crucible, by Arthur Miller. Arthur Miller is right. Actually, it's based on the real transcripts of the trial, and. One thing is to read it, but another thing is to see it. And I went to see Liam Neeson and uh, Laura Linney, who was one of my Tai Chi students back in 1981. Liam
1: Neeson, the actor?
4: Yeah, he was. he, he played
1: Jin from Star Wars, really? Yeah, yeah. He was oh, in this nice. play
4: era, uh, uh, off, off Broadway with uh, Laura Linney, who was in the Mothman prophecies. And I went to see it, and I realized what happened to those poor girls they got out into the woods and they started cooking a stew and they collected all the vegetables and one girl describes this that she was watching the fire and she was watching the, the vegetables being cooked in the stew when she saw this bullfrog jump boink 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 and jump right into the soup mm-hmm. and get cooked in there. Cool. And and you know what what uh you know what the if you if you if, if you, you lick a frog. Just, if you lick a frog, you have a right. sex exactly. And that's what happened to those poor girls. But nobody well, knew this. Kind
2: of, nobody knew this. Uh, the other thing was that um, it was a land grab. The people on the rich side of town wanted yeah. to land on the poor side of town. And so um, that's why a lot of those young girls, and they really were girls, they were not older women, they were girls. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of those girls were, were basically tortured mm-hmm. and, and burned at the stake. Uh, there was a land grab, and Cotton Mather put a stop to it. It was Cotton Mather who saw the lights on the moon. And in NASA's official report, 400 years of lunar anomalies, they actually yes. cite Cotton Mather as the observer of the lights on the moon. But the astronauts saw lights on the moon, and it was... Was it Gene, Gene Cernan? Gene Cernan, they were doing, they were doing um, a test, because the Apollo astronauts were like... It was fascinating to NASA that had to figure out a way to make the lights on the moon go away.
4: Well, Gene Cernan was one of the people most obsessed in Apollo 10... They heard music on the far side of the moon.
2: Right. They Apollo heard music Tendor, on the f- and he yeah. said
4: it was weird, outer spacey music. <laughs> hey, fellas, do you hear that? He goes, yeah, we hear that. And then here's, here's the thing. These fellows were being recorded. Uh, the first cockpit recorder that we have in airliners now, that was mm-hmm. on the Apollo mission. And right. it was put on the craft because they were afraid that some mishap might occur on the far side of the moon, dark side as it was called Mm -hmm. then, and that we would never know what happened. So NASA rigged this uh, looped tape recorder to record their conversations on the far side of the moon, and it was there. It was the Apollo astronauts who began the first cover-up conspiracy, because when they heard the music on the far side of the moon, uh, it was during the time when the... People don't know but during Apollo ten, the Lem, the lunar excursion model, the right. land separated and descended to within eight miles of the moon and then rose up again and joined. Just to prove that all the gadgetry worked correctly. Mm-hmm. It was during that time that Cernan and the others, Stafford and um I forgot who the other one is, but they all heard it and they they get back together But CERN keeps returning to the subject when you you read the transcript. Then they're finally all together back inside the command module after having redocked the spacecraft. And they say, well, what about that music? Did you guys hear it? Yeah, I heard it. And he said, should we tell NASA? Should we tell Houston about it? I don't think so. I don't think that anybody would believe us. Now, why? Because with the moon blocking the Earth, there should have been no radio transmissions at all to be received Right. On exactly. The, side of the moon. Exactly. However, you think uh,
1: maybe some floated deep into space and made as well way around the even Allen belt and maybe swung around and they just caught it by accident? Maybe right,
4: no. Like no. Showed. Radio waves. I'll tell you, I'll tell you don't don't
1: do that I'm just thinking outside the box.
4: I'm sure Bill. I'm sure Bill <laughs> knows about this. <laughs> about the long, the LDE, the long delayed echo. Sure. The long delayed echo oh. was discovered in the 1930s when radio when radios uh, were starting to beam and we got bounce back from the moon, there was a second bounce that was coming back and it moved around. It had different distances and they they named it the long-delayed echo. And uh, as years went by, it was monitored and it would vary in distance. It would be like one-third the the distance to the moon farther on the other side of the moon and it would move in position. And the hypothesis was is there was some unseen huge unseen spacecraft out there receiving the, the beam and bouncing it back. So there has been a presence on the moon, actually, folks, since time immemorial. I'm going to tell you the story of Tai Chi Chuan very briefly. Go ahead. Yeah, the long-delayed echo.
1: Sounds like the story of yeah, love
4: love. LTE, type in mm-hmm. long-delayed echo in Google and you'll get all the information. But let me just say this. The first time that I saw Tai Chi Chuan... A Tai Chi master came to my house. My friend had introduced me to him. I had looked for Tai Chi for weeks. Couldn't find the school in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, you know, I haven't seen it. Can you show me a few moves? So this Tai Chi master showed me 10, 10 moves, the first 10 moves of the form. And I was amazed, the, the, the fluidity, the slowness of it. Because what you see on YouTube of Tai Chi, it's way too fast. It's uh, tai chi looks <laughs> tai chi when it's done like the grandmaster is like um, the way molasses in winter pours. It's extremely viscous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so. Well, isn't it harder I, the slower you go? Of course, the, the slower you go, the faster it is when you use it. <laughs> I, I, man, I said I, to myself, my first so impression when I sa- saw it, oh, I man. said, "My God, that looks like it came from outer space." So then I had, uh, uh, about two years, three years later, I had this spiritual experience with my teacher who passed away in China. And three days later, he appeared to me and touched me. That's another thing I didn't say. He actually physically touched me. Mm-hmm. One thing is to see a ghost. Another one is to be. Where, where, did he touch yeah.
3: where did he touch you?
1: We all want to know.
4: He touched me in the forehead, in the third eye.
1: Not what I was expecting.
4: And then. Well, that's what I, I was hoping. Re- yeah, hoping. I, yeah be,
1: I was hoping that too,
4: though. I received a download. <laughs> of, when he left, I knew things that I had never learned. And it took me seven years to find the proofs that what I had learned or knew was true. And one of those things was that that first impression was accurate. I studied, uh, started studying Chinese in 1972 and 73 so that I could read the Chinese books themselves, the classics. Because there is a taboo to teaching Westerners. Professor Cheng broke the taboo, so he was he was kind of outcast by the the hardcore racist Chinese community.
1: Well, question: When you say Chinese, which language in China exactly? Uh, Mandarin. Mandarin, Mandarin. Mandarin. Okay.
4: Mandarin. Yeah. So, but the written characters is is universal. So, right, right, right. i Became expert in uh, reading uh, old Chinese or even ancient well, Chinese. What
3: do the what do the Tai Chi movements represent?
4: I'm going to tell you. Um, the emperor, I, I came across. I was looking for the origins of Tai Chi, which was said to be the earliest written record was 1100 uh, A.D., the Song Dynasty. But it had the reputation of being the oldest martial art in the world. So I was backtracking it. And in, in the backtracking, I came across a poem that was written in the Tang Dynasty by the most famous of all Chinese poets named Bai Jui. And I started reading this poem and it starts using the names of some of the movements of Tai Chi Chuan. It referred to the Emperor as the Golden Cock. It referred to the Lady Yang and the Fair Lady. And I realized, what is this? And it was describing a a very ancient whirling dervish-like dance that became a vogue in the Tang Dynasty court and ultimately led to a revolution and uh, the downfall of the Tang Dynasty. So I become interested in this emperor, Xuanzong, a philosopher king. And his, his his principal wife, his favorite concubine, the Lady Yang Fei. And then I start investigating the history of the Tang Dynasty. And guess what I found? I found an official Tang Dynasty historical record. Citing this emperor who said... That around the year 750, 755 AD, he was walking the ramparts of the castle in Xi'an, that is the ancient capital where they found the 10,000 terracotta soldiers, mm-hmm. that a moon ship came down and landed on the ramparts of the castle, and that the moon people came out and invited the emperor to go with them to visit Pang Lai Shan, or the Chinese heaven, or fairy land, and that the emperor accepted the invitation and that he was amazed that when the moon ship took off, he could see the encampment, the tent village around the walls of the castle where people were conducting business, commerce, cooking food, playing kung fu, wrestling, uh, doing animal husbandry, shepherding sheep and you know pulling cows. And he went off to the moon where he saw the fairies, quote unquote dancing in resplendent rainbow colored garments, doing this San
1: Francisco, huh?
4: Doing this beautiful dance and yeah. hearing this wonderful music, it was totally entrancing. And the next morning the moon people brought him back and he came in at dawn and he could see the campfire smoldering and the people starting to wake up and the animals starting to mule and so on. And he was so excited he he came off the moon ship the moon ship took off, went back with the moon people, and he said to his wife, you have to learn this dance. I saw it. The fairies were dancing it on the moon last night. I want you to learn it before I forget it, and I'm going to write down this music that I heard on the moon. So this became a vogue, and ultimately it was a competition in centeredness. So it was a really very fast spinning dance. Mm. And it, it it initiated a lot of court intrigue, and to make a long story short, it caused a civil war. And this princess was the princess Yang Guifei. Her family had been uh, appointed to be the principal ministers of this young, of this emperor Xuanzong, And when the revolution came, they blamed her family for this intrigue. The army did, and they refused to fight for the emperor. And so they demanded that all the Yangs be executed, and they were executed, but he would not execute his wife. And so she submitted herself to be hanged with her own silken scarves. And she walked up to a tree and they put the scarves up, and they hung her. And I actually visited her tomb when I went to China. And... Um, the thing in Tai Chi is that there are movements named after the emperor. Jinji tuli means the golden cock stands on one leg. And there's yu chuan suo which means the jade lady weaving at the shuttles. The princess yang what we would call her Christian name, was Yu-huan, or round jade ring. So the fairy weaving at the shuttles in Tai Chi-chuan actually is a... Memorial to this Princess, and her dying movements are mimicked every time I do the form when I do the fair lady weaving at the shuttles or the four corners, I bring my arms up and I, as if I 'm putting the silken scarves on uh hanging on the tree, and then the hands come toward my neck and my body and I'll never forget this. My Tai Chi master, when he taught me this, he said, When you do the fair lady weaving of the shuttles or the four corners, because it, it does four turns to the diagonals, he said, When you sink on the last one, make sure that you don't cringe your neck. Make sure that you elongate your neck as if you're being hanged from a tree by silken scars. So, this was very esoteric secret knowledge. But through this poem, I was able to decipher the movements. But taking it even farther back, uh, it appears that some of the earliest movements of Tai Chi Chuan appear on the Temple of Philae in Egypt. And it, this is where we can dovetail into Edgar Casey and his recollections of the Temple Beautiful and the Temple of Sacrifice in Egypt. In the Temple Beautiful, they perform dances and ceremonies uh, for healing in the temple of sacrifice was another, but it seems that this temple of Philae, which was rescued from the Nile, it was uh, by the United Nations along with Abu Simbel, it was moved stone by stone to a, a new place because the Nile was going to swallow it up. But apparently, Tai Chi Chuan actually goes back to the beginnings of um, of Western medicine, and this temple of Philae, and some of the movements are inscribed. In bas reliefs on this temple, so it is the oldest, um, the oldest of the martial arts, the old and the oldest healing system. But
3: how would the Moon people have movements that would, in fact, benefit or help the Earth people?
4: Well, we are fragmented. We are people who who have lost our true self image, and they imparted. It's as if they have the blueprint for the human being and I like to describe Tai Chi Chuan as the user's manual for the, for the human body uh, which is a machine but I like to describe it as Adam's walk and Adam was a perfect man, a perfect human being and he, he had perfection in his movements um, this idea is alluded to in the movie Altered States with William Hurt.
2: Yeah. Right, I don't remember that movie, yes. Oh, when,
4: he, when he has that vision of primordial man in the savannas of Africa, and he describes him running, he's describing the archetype of human body movement. The problem is that we do not have a true self-image. We do not know what we human beings are really supposed to look like because we suffer certain things. We suffer the ethnic imprint. The, the national identity and religious indoctrination. all of us, All of these warp us and bend us away from our natural forms. And so, Bill and all of you would understand very easily that if your car has very bad wheel alignment, that it's not going to steer right, the tires are going to wear out, it's going to be dangerous on turns or even dangerous just trying to drive straight ahead Fuel efficiency will be terrible, and you might have an accident. So every year you have your car inspected, and one of the things you have to do is wheel alignment. That analogy is perfect for what I do. I know the blueprint for Adam's walk. And when people come to study Tai Chi with me, I teach them sacred geometry, and I realign the skeleton according to this blueprint. Most people walking around have three pieces of a leg. They have a foot, a shin, a thigh, and a hip. But they don't have an integrated leg because the foot may be misaligned at the ankle. Simplest concept, and the first correction is this. Your kneecap, if you think of a bent knee as an arrowhead, your kneecap and your middle toe should always point in the same direction when you walk. If they don't, you're going to have problems with your ankles and your knees.
3: And this your works spine, for everybody, not just... It, this
4: is universal. This uh-huh. is universal. The spine should not have three curves in it. This comes from Western medicine observing six specimens for 300 years. The spine should have one uniform curve like an English longbow with a flat lower back and a neck that's in line with the thoracic vertebra. The shoulders should be down and settled, slightly rounded. The back, the shoulder blades, should stand, mm-hmm. and they should not be visible. So this military of uh, posture of shoulders back, stomach in, chest out, makes you very top-heavy and unbalanced. The center of gravity of the human body lies below the navel and above the pubic bone. It's an area called the, the Sea of Chi or the Ocean of Life. But it's called the Dan Tian, or the the field, the fallow field for the planting of the carnation. Dan is a carnation flower. So that's used as a, a symbol of a higher consciousness. And the importance of the uh, ironing out the curves in the lower back is that where that curve occurs, it blocks the primary meridian of the spinal column at a particular joint or juncture, that is called mingmen or the gate of life so it's a kind of a choke a choke point in the spinal column that blocks the kundalini force from rising the kundalini force is this primordial serpent power which is the source of all of our psychic abilities and our superpowers which we are all
3: well does it sometimes never rise in any in a in person
4: well it can uh, spontaneously it can rise spontaneously or, you know, sometimes people just accidentally slip into the perfect form. And hmm. the person that comes to mind uh, most readily to me is Roger Maris in 1961. Hmm. He hit the 61 home runs. Hmm. I saw Roger Maris running. Um, and one of the most amazing things, or the most amazing thing for me, of, uh, remind, remembering him, was I was up on the grandstand at Yankee Stadium along the third base line, and the Yankees took the field. And of course I loved Mickey Mantle and all the Yankees and I knew their numbers. And I saw the numbers, they were all bouncing, all the numbers were bouncing. But Roger Maris's number nine, he had his back to me, he was running straight out to right field, and there was a porch, a concrete porch was about three feet high at the time, so it was a nice level horizontal line. And Roger Maris's number just got small. It didn't go up, it didn't go down, it didn't go sideways. And I was amazed, and I looked down, and his feet looked like they weren't touching the grass. And to go back to the visitation from the ghost of Professor Cheng, when he walked away, I looked and I saw his back, I saw the white hair, I saw this black robe, and I looked at the floor, and his feet looked like they didn't touch the ground. Mm -hmm. And that was the last lesson that I received from Professor Cheng, because ever since that day, I have tried to walk that way. And that's one of the reasons I am healthy. I am balanced. I have mishaps. I have accidents. I bruise, but I don't break. Mm-hmm. And I survive things that would normally kill other people. And there's a legend about Tai Chi that when you arrive at Tai Chi, or Tai Chi confers itself on you, this golden heaven drops a golden bell ab- around you. It protects you from all things, both physical uh, injuries and physical uh, damage, but also spiritual attacks, spiritual assaults. So that everything bounces off this golden bell. Could so, you
3: tell us, um, tell me, um, a, a, a way that someone who's you know got the internet could learn, could begin to learn? Like, like what's a really good newbie site you would send people to, so they can. Could- well, Started. I can't
4: send anybody to any site yet, but in on uh, June ninth, um, f- the film is going to be shown here in New York, which is called The Professor. Oh yes, there is a Professor Cheng Man Ching. There is a website that has Professor Cheng Man Ching now, but this DVD is coming out. It's a film about the professor. It's called Tai Chi's Journey West. It's a biography of this teacher that I'm talking about. And I appear in the film as uh, his last student, and I recount the story that I just told you yeah. in far greater detail. And that DVD will be available after June 9th on the Internet. And um, I can send you the information. Okay, but do I'd that, like Yeah, it- I'd like to jump over at this moment, since we're talking about psychic abilities and um, kundalini force. I'd like to talk about Edgar Casey for a moment. Sure, go ahead. Because one of the things that I discovered about Edgar Casey recently is that I believe his psychic powers came from an accident that he had. I just found out that when he was a young man, he was struck by a baseball in the lower part of the back. And it incapacitated him for quite a while. And sometimes a shock to the lower back will knock the hell out of you but it also will create a spontaneous release of this kundalini force how old was he when he had the accident he was uh he was in his teens he was a young fellow
2: and, and ha- had he experienced any psychic abilities as a younger child
4: well bill we're on the
2: same wavelength again i believe that edgar casey
4: was an et contactee because I have just been reading. I'm going to be teaching at the Edgar Casey Center. I taught there. Oh, in Virginia? No, no. Here in New York. Oh, we have okay. A.R.E. in New York. But I taught in 2010 through 2012. And I taught remote viewing, lucid dreaming, and out-of-body experiences. And psychic healing. Things like that. Uh, they went through uh, administrative change. And I'm returning next month to teach this remote viewing course. Uh, every Thursday in June. But. I've been reading about Edgar Casey, and he says that he has, as a child, he had uh, little friends who would come and play with him. But whenever anybody adult or anybody else came around, they would just disappear. And I have found uh, another prophecy, which he made, but no one's ever associated it with 9-11, which is what I think he saw. He said that he saw that new york had been destroyed by war or an earthquake and that it was being rebuilt the third thing is this he says that he, <clears throat> he was taken and he was shown his next incarnation which would be in the year 2100 that he would be born in nebraska and that the coastlines would have, have would have changed and that the ocean would have incurred into the mid, into the midwest but he said that he was transported on a gleaming steel cigar-shaped vessel to see his next incarnation, to see the future, and then returned. So all of these uh, things convince me that Edgar Cayce was one of the early 20th century contactees. And like so many other uh People who have alien encounters or contact with extraterrestrials, their psychic powers are suddenly released. One of the reasons I believe it does do that is that if you see a UFO or you have a close encounter with an extraterrestrial, you know that everything that science has been telling you is a farce. It's not true. Evolution is is a cornerstone of... um, of science and that is the great threat the moment that you admit the existence of extraterrestrials extraterrestrial higher intelligence and when you read uh, the the story of the Anunnaki and you put two and two together with the Bible and you realize that humans were genetically engineered beings then science loses its hold on you and your mind is freed from from the limitations that science imposes on you, which is to make you believe that the world is a concaten- concatenation of materialistic events.
1: I thought you were going to say it's round and we're really on a flat Earth. That's what we're going
4: I'm with. tired of those poor people. You know, <laughs> <one>. another <laughs> form of mind control. This this meme is a virus. I'm getting emails, you know. It's so thing.
1: many people talking about mm-hmm. it, though it's crazy.
4: But this is what I think. It's another experiment in Wizard of Oz, Munchkin, Munchkin. I'm starting
1: to believe it. To be honest, I think we are on a flat Earth at this point. I'm, M- I'm believing it. Listen, I'm buying
4: it. Uh, listen, look through a telescope. Start to look make sense. At the moon. Look at Mars. Mm-hmm. Look at Saturn. Look at Jupiter. Everything is round. Yeah, but here,
1: here's, all the, here's all I the have answer gone that. Gone Yeah, but here's how they answer that. Yeah. Holographic projection.
4: Well, you see, our reality is a hologram.
1: Exactly.
4: We are, but it's not—it's not, it's not a, a, an inaccurate hologram. There is a bit of distortion, but this is something that really shakes people up when, when I start teaching them. What you're seeing in front of you right now is not outside you. It's actually in a projection room in the back of your head, in the optic lobe. Well, that's
2: what uh, you know. Who said that? Whoa, Thomas Edison. Mind. Blown. I'm serious. I'm, I'm finishing the manuscript now for Edison and Tesla, and yeah. that's exactly Thomas Edison's theory, that the only reality, because he, he wrote this in his journal, which is online, folks can read it, that the only reality is that it's a series of snapshots that we believe we've taken, and that the optic center of the brain, that that area that like takes the two images from the eyes molds it into one and sequences out like a motion picture uh-huh. it is all fake. Edison yeah. is saying it's put together in our minds it's not there. You want to hear something else? Well, uh, I, num- uh, um,
4: I have a, a great number of uh, doctors and scientists and PhDs and, and as, as friends and one of them is a, one of the top neurologists in Germany. We were discussing this about 20 years ago and he said do you know about the lateral geniculate? It's a body near the optic lobe. And he says, what the lateral geniculate does is it compares the two uh, images that are coming from each eye and it filters out things that are the same. And so what you are seeing are only things that are different. And I said to him, well, that means that there could be something there, but because it's present in both images, we're not allowed to see it. He said, precisely. What you're seeing are only the differences. You're not seeing the sameness. It's quite a profound idea.
2: It it is. So would he say that if you closed one of your eyes and looked at the other one, you'd see what's really there? Part of it.
4: I think
3: it's a different thing he's saying. I think he's talking the way the JPEG people will talk, and that is how they compress an image. Uh, You'll look at a movie, and if, if the sky is going to be blue for many, many frames... They'll just compress that blue, and you'll see those artifacts sometimes. Um, and so, when you talk about seeing things that are different, maybe what you're, maybe what he's saying is, you only recognize things that are not redundant. The redundant stuff, true, something both, like that, so more or less. Things that uh, are
4: important, <laughs> things that are important to your survival. Well, that, that's essentially it. However, there's another thing that the human eye cannot see things that are uh, flickering at faster than 60 cycles per second that's why right. an airplane propeller starts to spin oh right sure and yeah. Yeah. so if there are entities whose vibratory rate is higher than 60 cycles per second they can be standing right next right. to exactly. you and you'll see it and yeah. i'll tell you when professor the professor's spirit came to visit me he was solid he was solid. Well the what was your started.
3: situation when he came to visit? Were you sleeping? Were
4: no, you no. This was uh, I had been meditating. It was in the middle of the day, in the uh, middle of the afternoon, I would say. And um, let me just say this. As a prelude, four, five days days I had had a premon- I had a premonitory experience where a was sleeping, and a the... a Lucid dream that I had. I was standing in my living room. It was daytime. I was looking out the window, and I saw a 747 descending toward my building as if to crash. I heard no noise, and I knew that the it had lost its engines and that it was going to crash into my building. And a voice in the dream said, "Robert, you might die." And in the dream, I ran through the house trying to escape the impact area, and I heard the crash. And I ran to a window in the dream, and I looked up, and the airplane had crashed into the building, embedded itself in the building across the street, and the wings were straddling my building and the next building with an alleyway between us. And this particular alleyway is very interesting because there's a monolithic rock there. It's about a half a block long, 20 feet high, 10 feet wide, and solid granite, one of the oldest parts of the earth to have risen. New York sits on one of the first areas of the earth to have risen from the primordial seas and solidified. And I have always called this rock the rock of ages. So I saw this image of the airliner, wings straddling the building, an engine fell, exploded and I woke up in a cold sweat and trembling and shivering and saying, my brother is in mortal danger. And I thought it was my physical blood brothers one of whom was in California, the other one was traveling in Central America, and what could I do? I went back to sleep shivering and cold and feeling that it was, you know, really a, a terrible, mm. terrible thing. So five days later, in the middle of the afternoon, I had been doing my Tai Chi, I had been doing Chinese calligraphy, I was wide awake, and all of a sudden my body started to tremble and shake. And I said, Something's going on with my energy, and I better lie down. So I lay down and um, I didn't fall asleep, I just laid down and all of a sudden, the trembling continued and then I saw this person walking toward my bed and I was alone in my house. So of course I'm thinking, intruder, how did they mm-hmm. get in here I'm alone. And I clenched my fist as this person approached me but I couldn't move, I felt paralyzed. And that's when this voice said to me, don't be afraid Robert, nothing can harm you and he came over and as i was paralyzed my right eye closed my left eye open the person walked over and touched me and i felt the greatest level of love that i have ever experienced and the only thing i could equate it to was the concern of a parent for his her ailing his or her ailing child mm. and, and then when all the fear left me and all of this love was being infused through me I said I have to see who this is and with all my might I took my right hand and took my fingers and I tried to pry open my eyelids so that I could see and at that point when I tried to do that the person stepped back walked away that's when I saw the feet did not appear to touch the ground and then dematerialized from the upper right shoulder to the lower left leg Mm-hmm. and my and the thought is that I still have it. it it's just like the teleportation machine on star trek i said to myself mm-hmm. and that's what that's what i remember and as soon as he uh evaporated i could move and i was in utter shock i was in ecstasy mm-hmm. i thought that i had experienced the cosmic christ and uh Called my friend right away and started to tell her. And an hour later, as I was telling her about this marvelous mystical experience that I had had, the door knocked loudly, and a friend of mine, who was usually cheerful and happy, had a very long face on him. And I said, "Kenny, what's the matter?" He said, "Robert, I have some bad news for you." And I said, "What is?" I said to myself, "What could be so bad as to make his face look like that?" He said, Professor Cheng is dead. He died three days ago in China. Mr. Khan just read it in the Chinese newspaper. And at that moment, literally there was a flash of light in my brain and it was like an atomic bomb mm. blew up. And I realized the dream was right. The dream said you might die. And that moment I died. The man I was before that moment was never to be again. And I realized that every choice, every decision, uh, good or bad, every jaywalk uh, that I walked, every turn that I made, all my life had led me to that moment and that I would never be the same man again. And that if he thought of me that well, to come and say goodbye to me, that the rest of my life had to be dedicated to Tai Chi Chuan and and finding out why and what it was all
2: about. And uh, that's why I'm here today. Well, how would you compare yourself before the, this happened to after it happened? Um,
4: I was mortal before, and I'm not mortal anymore. Okay. I have one foot here, and I have one foot on the other side of the grave. And since that time, I have become a shaman. And uh, people are afraid of the word necromancer, but I do communicate with the dead. And I have many spirits who have come to me. Uh, some to protect me and some to ask for my aid. And
2: I have been touched by other ghosts. So, so why would spirits. Um, why would. What would a spirit need your aid to do? Well, people who die untimely
4: deaths, either by suicide or by murder, cannot rest in peace. The suicide thinks that he's gonna solve his or her problems by killing him or herself. And they find that you can't do that. You have to solve your problems here here and now, in the body, and then you get to leave. But it is a crime, a cosmic crime for you to kill yourself and you will not rest. And I warn anyone who's thinking about suicide, Do not do it. Does
3: that that hold true for the elderly who are at the end of their lives, with no hope
1: whatsoever? Yes. How about when they want to just get euthanasia because they just can't keep up with uh, the pain of Uh, living with a disease? You know, like
4: you know, for as great as the pain of living is, the ecstasy of dropping the body will be a million times greater. So, I have had suicides who killed themselves and needed to communicate a message to their loved ones about the circumstances of the suicide or the reason for the suicide. And I have had murder victims who cannot rest until the truth of their murder is known. There are suicides who were murdered and did not suicide themselves, that's another one. And then there are people who just love me because I love them. <laughs>
1: hey, when I drop that, uh, I'm gonna and, I'm gonna and, contact you also and touch you on the forehead. Listen, I got my word I, on that.
4: I, I just the forehead I, though. I, I, I no, I'm not kidding.
3: Yeah, but the download is gonna be like it's gonna be like a Marvel download. It's gonna be great. Well,
4: Marvel, <laughs> yeah, a with wonderful. a little with a little DC. Listen, either. I right now I'm going through something spiritual with somebody. It was very important in, again, another one of my heroes. And I'm going through it right now, and I don't know why. But for the last couple of weeks, Cheyenne Bodie has been in my life. And I've been reviewing those the movies. Uh, actually, it started last week by seeing this movie called Yellowstone Kelly that I'd never seen before, starring Clint Walker. Right. And- it it was marvelous. Uh, I watched it with a friend, and we're totally enthralled by this film. Then I started to tell my friend about who he was. She'd never seen him. Who he was, what he meant to me, what a great star he was, what a charismatic fellow he was, or is still. He's still around.
2: He is. And How old is he now?
4: He's uh, eighty eight or eighty nine. Wow.
2: I, but, I I I remember the show. But, I remember the theme song.
4: Of course. Cheyenne. Cheyenne, yeah, <laughs> we'll be camping tonight. Anyway. I remember um, that
3: too, actually. This, yeah, when to you're this, singing, listen you
4: know, to this. This yeah. is the important thing. Very
3: gay.
4: <laughs> <He's not> gay. <laughs> listen to this. The most important thing about Cheyenne Bodie, Clint Walker, is that he died. He had a skiing accident. A ski pole went right through his heart. Oh. He, he was dead for 45 minutes. Wow. He was he, he was meat on the slab in in the room in the hospital when something happened and this is on if you go to my page I've been putting this up the interview with Clint Walker about his near death experience he was dead for forty five minutes the doctors in the emergency room thought he was dead and he left his body and he was speaking to God and he said God. I don't think I've completed the thing I was born to do. I, I don't really want to die. And during this moment, um, he was asking to come back. During this time, just by chance, a heart surgeon who was his, day off, it was his day off, he was going to meet a friend in the hospital. And he went, he was late, and he decided to just take a shortcut through the operating room and he walked through the operating room and saw this man sticking with a ski pole through his heart. And he said, what's here? He said, that's <laughs> Clint Walker. He's dead. He just died. He had a ski pole that's gone through his heart. And he just stood by the body perfectly still, no sign of life. And this doctor got a feeling and he said, you know, I don't think he's dead. And he said, hey, let me see. Let's try. He said, pass me those scissors. And he says, and Clint Walker says that he could feel it, he could hear it, he couldn't move. And he could hear the doctor say, let me, let me see that. And he starts cutting his chest open to extract the ski pole from his heart. And Clint Walker mutters, do you really have to do that? <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. And he brought him back. But so I, this
3: is not the story of the character Cheyenne.
4: No, this but is in real is life. The, this is the real wow. life
2: actor who played Cheyenne Bodie. Was Cheyenne uh, Bodhi
3: a character who
2: was sort of like Longmire, maybe? He was before there was Longmire. There was Cheyenne. Yeah, I don't know who Longmire is. Oh, Oh. Longmire is probably one of the greatest Western detective stories. It's on Netflix. Go to Netflix. Watch Longmire. It's fabulous. I'll have, to watch, it's it's fabulous. I'll have show- to watch it if it's yeah, as good two, as that. There's
3: two seasons, but the, the 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 atmosphere and the lead character, is, and I don't like westerns, but this draws you in, and I long for the next episodes. I wish oh. they'd come out.
4: That's great. Well, yeah. listen, I, I would point you his, his uh, Cheyenne series is on uh, on YouTube. Uh, thank God, but his interview is there, and you, you've you got to see him. I think yeah, he, cool. he's really a great soul, a Mahatma, and like he said, he, he says, uh, I don't know why, he says, I didn't know what I was born to do, but I asked to come back, and uh, here I am, and maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. Well, that's an fabulous. And I have had, I, I, I told it on, on uh, Skywatchers, I mm. told uh, angel about my dear yep. two near death experiences mm-hmm. where I actually physically left the body and for people who are afraid to die I'm happy to describe it it's, it's not a terrible thing what happened to me was that I was suffering from a, an injury to my liver that I had suffered in Kung Fu, I got kicked Ugh. in the liver Hi. by a 6 foot 3 red haired Polish guy who saw me slightly distracted for a moment and laid into me and Professor Cheng actually saved my life in in nineteen seventy three by treating me with with chinese herbs mm-hmm. and so the professor passed away in nineteen seventy five and then in seventy seven i started i had a recurrence I started to have a, a similar symptoms and it was during an attack of this thing that it happened to me that all the blood drained out of my head and out of my body and I t- turned a pale white and then a sort of pale green. And as all the blood drained out of my upper body and went down in my body, a field of magnetism went up my spine like a thermometer going to 100 degrees. And then it went up and the, mag- and the magnetism was me and it left my body and it grew bigger than my body. And it was surrounding, it was rising up and up and out of my body to the point where I was detached from my body and I felt like my hair was inside myself. That's a, my field was so big. And as this happened, what happened to my, my visual perception was that I saw like a chain link fence, very fine lines like spider, spider web. But, and it was light, and it was made of light. But as this chain link fence grew, it also started to grow thicker. And the the space between them grew smaller. The reality that we're in now grew smaller as this light started to overwhelm me. So I focused on my friend's eyes. She was looking at me in shock. She saw that I was dying, standing up. So I, I rooted myself. I bent my knees. I put my weight 70% in the balls of my feet. I centered myself in my lower body. And I prayed. I was in a room with two ladies and a three-year-old girl, a child, an infant. And I said to God, God, I'm not afraid to die, but I don't want to die in front of this little girl, please. If I drop the body here, they're going to scream, they're going to be hysterical. This little girl would be traumatized for the rest of her life. Not for me, God. I'm not afraid. I could stay here forever, but please don't let me die in front of this little girl and then the magnetism fell back into my body and as the magnetism fell back into my body and went down through my spine all the blood came up and my friend was in shock she saw I saw leaving her name was Barbara and she was a very gifted spiritual person from Barbados who had the most remarkable emerald eyes uh, green hazel eyes like, like I do and I wanted to say that not everyone sees the world the same, and I, I've been gifted with special eyes, and I see things that other people can't see, and spirits and ghosts, maybe some of them, and and I've had my own experiences with extraterrestrials, and uh, I'm not afraid of them. They're more afraid of me than I am of them.
2: Well, oh, that's good to know. Listen, we are out of time, so uh, this is uh, this has been fascinating as you always are, um, and you. I, but- I honestly don't up. know how you na- I honestly don't know how you navigate through life. I mean, you know, in a world where where people love privacy to have that much activity going on, I I envy you in your balance that you can handle all this. I do. Well, God I gave do. me the strength, and he gave uh, me the strength. I'm sure I'm, I, could, oh, happy I could to share that. I, we'll, I have to that.
4: Talk, we'll have to talk more about a Yes, we will. Uh,
2: yeah, we have a lot to talk about. Oh, we have to say goodnight. Um, I want to thank Robert Morningstar, our guest, for coming tonight and sharing these absolutely fabulous stories. Uh, there's much more to talk about to um everybody thank you for joining us we are your co-host bill that's me and nancy good night everybody Saying good night, good night Bob. from um, we will night. see you thank, thank you. you thank you
3: so much we will night, see you night. next week God today was good night, our everybody. Um,
2: good night a good a, a good night chris brown <clears> good night angel <throat> we'll see everybody next week on psn radio and the dark matter digital network good night from Show future number theater
4: number 300